Welcome to Between the Worlds. I'm your host, Amanda Yates Garcia. Stay tuned and learn how to re-enchant your world with tarot, magic, and more. Thanks for traveling with us. We're glad you're here. Growing up as a queer kid on the small conservative Greek island of Cyprus, George Lizos realized that he had to choose between trying and failing to be straight or to become more authentically himself. He chose himself, and eventually he became a pagan priest and devoted his life to learning protection magic, a technique for clearing harmful ideologies so we can be more authentically ourselves. Join us today on Between the Worlds, where our guest, George Lizos, teaches us how to overcome our fear of judgment and our imposter syndrome. Today, we discuss energetic cords and how to clear them, psychic daggers and how to remove them, digital amulets and talismans, and how to protect your energy on social media. I know I need that one. George Lizos is a spiritual teacher, a psychic healer, the host of the Lit Up Lightworker podcast, including an interview he did with me on the true meaning of witchcraft several years ago, which was really fun, and I highly recommend you check out his podcast. Again, that's Lit Up Lightworker podcast. We link to all of his work and everything you ever need to know about him in the show notes. He's also the author of three best-selling books, Be the Guru, Lightworkers Gotta Work, and Protect Your Light. We cannot wait to introduce you. We know you're going to love his books as well, so stay tuned and let's go find them. So, George, I'm so excited to have you on the show. I'm a huge fan of your podcast, and I love this book. It's been so helpful for me. And I'm really excited to share everything that you have to offer with our listeners. So, welcome to the show. Amanda, oh my goodness. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so grateful to be here. I loved having you on my podcast, so it's wonderful to get to share with your community as well. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we'll put a link to the episode that I was on on your podcast for those of you out there who want to hear a little bit more about that. And also, I just do recommend that you go ahead and dive deep into George's podcast as well. Why don't you just start by telling us about yourself and your practice, maybe how you got your start and like the roots of your practice? Yeah, so basically the way that I label myself is I'm a spiritual teacher and psychic healer and I'm passionate about helping light workers to find, follow and fulfill their life purpose. But the way and the journey that it took for me to be here starts way back growing up in Cyprus, a little Mediterranean island where it's a small community. And usually with the small communities, they tend to be very stereotypical. They expect you to be a certain way. They expect you to fit within certain stereotypes. So from a very young age, even though I felt I was a light worker, I felt I had a purpose in the world. And I was one of those weird kids who just loved spending time out in nature when everybody else was like partying. I loved talking with the flowers, looking up at the sky and asking life's big questions. I felt like I didn't fit in. So from a very young age, I developed people-pleasing tendencies, changing myself to fit into other people's expectations and therefore to find acceptance. 
Fast forward to the age of 13 years old that I realized that I was gay in a society that considered gay people to be criminals and pedophiles. It had just been legalized to be gay. There was still a huge taboo around it. So there was no way I would accept yet another label after years of being bullied and being called names and feeling like I was a weirdo. So I'm like, you know what? I've been doing this my entire life. I've been changing myself for other people my entire life. So I'm going to do the same. I'm going to change myself from gay to straight, one step at a time. And that's when I entered the two most debilitating years of my life, where for two years, I tried to monitor the way I walked, the way I talked, the way I expressed myself, the way I thought, trying to turn me from gay to straight. And two years later, when I couldn't change who I was born to be, I called myself a human abomination and decided to put an end to my life. So in a particularly dark night, I wrote a letter to my parents. I had a bunch of pills and I was ready to put an end to it. And it was in that moment of surrender that I had my epiphany that got me on my spiritual path. And that epiphany was, fuck what people think, stop caring about what society, the church thinks, and just learn to love and accept yourself exactly as you are. And Amanda had no idea how to do that because all I experienced was self-loathing, was judgment, was bullying. I didn't know how to love myself, but I was open to learning. So you know how the universe works. When you're ready to change, the universe brings you opportunities. So that's when I discovered Feng Shui was the first spiritual modality that came to my life. And then it led me to witchcraft. And then it led me to affirmations and working with angels. And here we are a few years later. Wow. That's an amazing story. And thank you so much for your vulnerability and willingness to share that. I'm sure that a lot of people out there can really relate to what you're talking about. And yeah, I'm so glad that you're here with us to be able to share this story with us. So after you had your epiphany, you really entered into some deep study around many different modalities to help you come into a state of self-acceptance and personal empowerment. So you've written several other books, right? You've written Lightworkers Gotta Work, and there was another one. Be the Guru, the first one. Be the Guru, right. Okay, the first one, yeah. So what inspired you to write this book? Where did that come from? The new one, Protect Your Light. Yeah, Protect Your Light, yeah. It's actually connected to that story, uh, the origin story, quote unquote, in the sense that what I had done my entire life was allow other people's thoughts, beliefs, emotions, and expectations to become part of my own energetic field. I did not understand energy at the time, but I understood beliefs and I understood thoughts and I understood expectations, but essentially everything has an energetic component as well. So clairvoyantly, if I were to scan my energetic body back then, before I had my epiphany, I would see an energy field that's cluttered with other people's beliefs, with expectations, with thoughts, with energetic attachments, with etheric cobwebs, cluttering, essentially, my energetic authenticity and preventing me from being my authentic self. Essentially, my aura, my energy field was so cluttered, I was thinking other people's thoughts, feeling other people's emotions, behaving in ways that were not in alignment with who I really am. Fast forward to a couple of years ago before I wrote Protect Your Light, 
I hear from so many spiritual seekers tell me that I want to follow my purpose. I know what my life purpose is, but I'm f- afraid that people will judge me. What if I get persecuted? What if uh, I'm afraid to follow my purpose? The imposter syndrome comes in. I'm not good enough. You know, all these limiting beliefs and fears that we tell ourselves. Or I'm too sensitive. When I'm around people, I get so overwhelmed and then I can't help. So I'm like, wait a minute, here's a connection here. Our entire lives, we allow programming, we allow society, we allow all these different external energetic attachments to become part of who we are, and they rid us of our authenticity. And that's why in Protect Your Light, I define energy protection as the art of being energetically authentic. It's about ensuring what's ours is ours, and what's theirs is theirs. It's about taking our life back. So I wrote this book, to empower spiritual seekers with tools and practice that they can use to ensure that whatever's coming from them, it's truly them. And it's not influenced by external sources. Hmm, fascinating. It, it really makes a lot of sense to me that in a culture that was really trying to define you and keep you small or keep you away from your authentic self, that helping people find their own authentic self would be very important to you since you've done so much work in that area. So I want to talk a little bit about this idea of like cleansing and, you know, separating one's energy, because I think that that's like kind of a, a bit of a murky place, at least here, because there are several schools of thought around this. You know, there's the idea that cleansing one's energy at all is problematic because it assumes this condition of purity, right? Like it, it assumes that purity is possible. And as we know, the idea of purity can be used kind of in a fascist sense, as in racial purity or ethnic purity. And then there's also a kind of anti-ecological sense of purity, where, for instance, purity might include something like spraying your kitchen with bleach or spraying fields with pesticides or getting rid of the dirt, quote-unquote, as if there's something wrong with dirt. Or this idea of contamination is a really big part of conservative ideology, for instance, that is always this outside force that's coming to like muck you up or make you dirty somehow. And some people think that the idea of purity is also like individualistic since we're all interconnected and we're full of bacteria and the water we drink is passed through countless other bodies. And maybe it's not even possible or desirable to separate or isolate ourselves kind of hermetically in this bubble of purity. Yet, on the other hand, I think that most of us have experienced the desire to cut cords or protect ourselves or felt that our energy has been invaded or we felt violated in some ways. So I think that a lot of us can also relate to the idea of wanting to protect our energy or wanting to cut cords or wanting to, you know, return to our authentic self, as you've been saying, you know, to to extract from within us the colonial or racist or sexist or homophobic ideologies that we might have had imposed on us from our culture. I would love to hear your perspective on this as someone who's thought a lot about it. I love this question. First of all, it's important to realize that we can never be completely pure. Purity is an illusion in physical form because we have physical bodies and we are in this uh, world of duality, this three-dimensional world of duality. If you want to go back to purity, you go back to source. 
you go back to before we were born, when we were just invisible souls, essentially. That's the, the purity that uh, many spiritual schools of thought are searching, returning back to their purity. But as I said in my, in my second book, Lightworkers Gotta Work, the world is not going to change sitting in meditation pillows all day long. Yes, when we meditate, we find the sense of purity to some degree for a short while, but we're not changing the world by sitting in meditation pillows and experiencing that. We change the world by getting out of our comfort zones, getting messy, accepting that messiness, and creating change with it. So when it comes to energy protection, I have a non-obsessive approach to it in the sense that I'm not all about, okay, let's just spend every single moment of our lives ensuring that we're high vibe. The whole point of protecting our energy is not to be completely energetically authentic 24-7, is to allow ourselves, give ourselves grace in having contrast and having different energetic attachments with us, but knowing when it's time for us to bring ourselves back into a place of connectedness. For example, the most important um, step we can take on our spiritual path from my perspective is to have a spiritual practice that ensures that we are as close to our original state as possible, meaning that we take some time to connect to our inner wisdom and our inner being every single day. And when we have a daily spiritual practice, many of us can maintain that, especially if it's consistent throughout the day. However, at some point during the day, shit will happen. Something will happen. Our vibration will lower. We'll stray away from home. Energy protection is simply having tools that we can use to bring ourselves back home rather than obsessively trying to cleanse things that may be there but are not really preventing us from being in alignment with who we really are. It's when we've strayed away, we've disconnected. Disconnect is a huge word. It's a big word. But when we've strayed away a little bit from that sense of connectedness to who we really are, that we need those tools to bring ourselves back home. And at the same time, it's important to have context with words such as cleansing, because yes, it has negative connotations, such as I remember in the past I was using the word programming. Let's re reprogram a certain uh, mindset shifts, certain beliefs and, and thoughts. And many people got triggered thinking about the programming that goes on in conversion therapy, for example. So there are different contextual associations that are important to have in mind. It's important to have those conversations, to problematize those terms, to evolve those terms. I remember when you were on my podcast, we talked about feminine and masculine and whether we need those terms or not, because there is so much behind them. So here's a question that we're having here as well. And everybody listening or watching can think like, okay, is the cleansing term the right term or shall we use clearing or something else? And is clearing even possible or cleansing even possible? So when we have an understanding of the different contexts through which we use something, then we can navigate those contexts more specifically. And the way that I use the, the, the term cleansing is from this generic perspective of when you've strayed away from who you really are, let's give you the power of really understanding that this is happening so you can choose to clear what you feel like it's important for you to clear while understanding that you can never be fully pure because purity is an illusion. And 
really unwanted because we want to be messy. We want to experience contrast because it is out of these disagreements and contrasting beliefs and opinions and, and the bacteria of life, essentially, that new desires are born and we keep on creating and expanding the world. If we all lived in heaven on earth, for example, this utopian idea that everybody's pure and everybody's clean and everybody's loving one another, there wouldn't be much to create. <laughs> Because there is no contrast, there is no duality, but this duality gives us the platform, the playground, so that we can grow and change. So that's important. Wow, yeah, there's so much in that statement to consider and unpack. I love this idea, of course, of um, like a healthy diversity, like a healthy ecosystem within ourselves that we want to have all sorts of different aspects and also in our connection to the world and the idea of no separation between ourselves and the world. And also I really resonate with this idea of homecoming and that cleansing is maybe rather than like extracting impurities is about coming back to what feels authentically good to us and what is really aligned with us rather than what is imposed on us by a culture that might not have our best interests at heart or a culture that we might not agree with. So I think that that is a really beautiful way of looking at it. I'm really glad that we took the time to define those terms. And I really appreciate what you're saying for everyone who's listening to, to consider for themselves, like what they feel like is the right aspect ratio for the idea of purity, the idea of cleansing, the idea of homecoming and whether or not they believe that is true or necessary or, or how they conceive of that for themselves or even if they want that for themselves. Before we dive into the actual techniques of which you have so many, and I know that my listeners out there are going to be like, we want to know, because so many people like are concerned with this very idea. I did want to address one more language issue just to make sure that everybody who's listening is on the same page. So in the United States, as you probably know, the word light used to imply goodness or purity and dark used to imply badness or impurity is, of course, racially charged for good reason. And often on this show and in a lot of the circles that we travel in, we, we're embracing the dark as a place of fertility and rest and mystery and the color of the earth and the place from which all things emerge. And I personally struggle with ideas of binaries of you know, white, good, dark, bad, like feminine, bad, masculine, good, and just the idea of binaries and duality in general, you know, I'm really interested in a, in a, in a more diverse landscape or a spectrum or a circular spiralic way of viewing the world. So particularly because you are based in, or you're, you're based in Athens now, is that correct? I am based in Cyprus, which is an island in the Mediterranean. It's Greek culture. We speak Greek, but it's a different country. Oh, right. So yeah. Yeah. I knew you were so from I, I am, Cyprus. I'm Greek. So. I'm Greek from Cyprus. Yes. Right. Oh, okay. I knew you're from Cyprus. For some reason, I had the idea that you're living in Athens now. But okay. So you're living in Cyprus. So obviously, the cultural context there is very different than from in the United States. I would love to hear more about your perspective of this term light, light worker, its relation to the dark, and maybe if you could help our listeners understand a little bit more where you're coming from in relation to that. Yes, I love the question. Okay, so first of all, my 
my motto when it comes to light working is that to truly be a light worker, you first need to be a shadow worker. Essentially, you cannot express your light, you cannot do good in the world unless you've taken the time to really face the darkness within you, the shadow side of self, what you're afraid about yourself, your fears, your limiting beliefs, what you're ashamed of. So it's all about doing the inner work rather than spiritually bypassing and just using fun spiritual processes to move on in your spiritual path. So let's start there. Now let's define the term lightworker from my perspective. So first of all, the term lightworker is a catchphrase that many people use to talk about people who want to create change in the world. So the way that people understand the term lightworker usually is these are people who consciously make the choice of making the world a better place by being in it and using their spiritual abilities to do so. Now, when I was writing my second book, Lightworkers Gotta Work, I had an entire chapter where I talk about what is light and this idea that we're made out of love and light. And the way that I analyze this term is we're literally made out of light. If you think about it from a, a physics perspective, quantum physics perspective, when you zoom into everything in the universe, you find a vibration and that vibration expresses as light. So if you think about it, everything is made out of this vibrational frequency that is light. What about the love? The love is where we come from, is the, the essence of what source is. That purity that we had as children, that we assume is a purity that source has, for example, that also creates, also includes the darkness because it's all cyclical. It's not like the love and the darkness of it, the absence of it, by the law of polarity. They coexist beautiful in the universe. So I include that as well. So from that perspective, a light worker is someone who does the inner work that allows them to know the light that they're made of. So this is the way that I phrase it in my, in my mind and the way that I teach it. And in light workers gotta work, I coined the term ascension light workers who are mature souls who have been incarnating on this planet over and over again for the purpose of creating big positive change in the world and therefore revolutionizing and updating the Earth's software, creating a new paradigm, a paradigm that's not utopian, that we're all loving and, and kind, but there is more of that <laughs> and there is less contrast. But we're moving towards that direction where we're appreciating the contrast, but we're using it in a more productive way. So essentially, just to sum this up, my idea of a light worker are people who are willing to face their darkness, who are willing to go into the shadow so that they can find their light. Mm -hmm. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And we talk a lot about shadow work here and that relationship. And yet it still kind of implies the condition of light being good and darkness being bad because the idea is still like oh, the dark is the bad stuff that we don't want to face. I wonder if in it, are there the same kind of issues and related to language, the idea of labeling something dark as being like the shadow or the thing that we don't want to look at or the scary thing that's hidden, you know, can have great and really violent implications for people of color the implication is that there's like something wrong with that that we need to solve and then we can move to the light. And it just so happens that, you know, we like at least in the United States live in a white supremacist culture. So by implying that white or light is good and dark is bad, that it creates like something I think could be really painful for people. 
That's a very important topic and one that I haven't considered as to how different cultures and different races perceive those terms. And maybe it's a good um, good term to be problematized as well. I was chatting uh, to a, a non-binary creator of a tarot deck and they were saying that they don't like the term feminine or masculine because that it forces this binary and how they prefer beauty and strength as different terms. So maybe there are different works, words for light and darkness. The reason that I think I use them personally and that they're used so widely is because of cultural stereotypes, of spiritual stereotypes. But in essence, what I mean by those words, by both words, and I don't uh, think of the shadow as being bad or the light as being good. Although I know it, it kind of sounds like that because of conditioning mm-hmm. that I'm also part of is the word, the law of polarity, which is one of the many laws of the universe that they've been, I think it's been theorized by the, uh, the hermeticists, uh, their hermetic principle. They talk about the seven laws of the universe and the law of polarity teaches that there is a polar opposite to anything in life. So whatever emotion you're feeling, there's a polar opposite and you can't really escape from either of the two. And it doesn't mean that one is better than the other. They're just two sides of the same coin. And I think when we start up appreciating and understanding the terms light and darkness from this perspective and maybe using different words to talk about that, we just realize that when we are in one pole, that means we're at the same time have access to the other pole. And at the same time, when we have access to one of the poles, we have access to the opposing poles. And neither pole is more important than the other. It's just a matter of being where you're supposed to be and then knowing how to navigate these poles depending on what your life purpose is and what you're doing in the world. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's really fascinating. And I really appreciate your your willingness to be like, oh, I hadn't I hadn't really thought of that. Like yeah, because there's I so hadn't. many things. Like with <laughs> I think the the language as we're evolving it now and in talking about spirituality is still changing. And also in relation to gender and relation to race. And it's something that, you know, we all have to dig through and figure out like the way to proceed forward that creates the greatest possible good for the greatest possible number of people. What you're saying about polarity too, that's something that I kind of wrestle with. I really love astrology for that reason, because for instance, in astrology, there is polarity. Like let's say, you know, I'm a Scorpio and the polarity of Scorpio is Taurus, but it's still on a circle. And so Taurus isn't, isn't, really opposite. It's kind of complementary, but it is different. And then because it's a circle, it's not just like you can have this or this, you know, like you get two options, but instead there's, you know, 12 options that all kind of blend together and complement each other and have these different relationships to one another. That for me is very exciting because it kind of pulls us out of that binaristic attitude. I thought of a metaphor that I think fits really well into this conversation because I'm a Greek pagan priest. So I study the, uh, the philosophy and the different philosophical schools of the ancient Greeks and the way that they define Tartarus, which is essentially the underworld. Now, mythologically, we get to think like, oh, the, the underworld is where Hades lives and it's a sin and people are like, you know, hell, essentially, our definition of hell. And then you have the Elysian fields, which like the good, the light and the darkness Really, though, that's the myth. That's how they communicate to the masses certain concepts so they can understand the basics. But when you go into the philosophical schools and see how they understood that, Tartarus and the underworld is simply 
unexpressed consciousness. Mm. It's consciousness. It's so the cosmos, which in Greek comes from the Greek word kosmima, which means jewel, is the expressed part of the universe. Mm. It's what has been expressed. And then the underworld, the Tartarus, is the un or the chaos, house in Greek. It's the unexpressed part of the universe. So we have chaos that is quote unquote the darkness. And then you have the cosmos, which is quote unquote the light, but they're both coexisting and they've never judged though, oh, this is bad and this is good. It's the chaos is the unexpressed part of the cosmos, the part that is still still being expressed and finding balance or coming into expression without giving it a label as, oh, it's therefore bad because it hasn't been expressed yet. It's just to be announced. <laughs> right. I mean, that's really fascinating because it reminds me of dark matter and physics, right? Like it's this negative space that defines material reality, but that we can't get to because they can't locate it, but they know that it's there and it's, you know, propelling the universe and creating space and everything. I mean, the universe is fascinating and you've got an infinite amount of things to learn, but, um, I do want to like dive in now to some of the more practical applications of your work because I think people are going to be really, you know, helped and supported by by what you're doing. So, what is energy protection from your perspective? So, energy protection is the art of being energetically authentic. It's about ensuring that whatever is coming from us is truly coming from us. So as I said earlier, we have this energetic field that's made up of, uh, I call it in the book, the energy immune system. That's made up of primarily our chakras and our, the seven layers of our aura that can both send and receive energy. So as we move through life, both online and offline, we pick up different energetic attachments that tend to clutter our energetic field. And sometimes we have energetic attachments from past lives, from ancestral traumas, etc. There's so much that can come into it. So energetic protection is, in the book, I teach a seven-step formula to protecting our energy. It's about empowering ourselves with ways and tools that we can tune into our energetic field so we can clear what needs to be cleared so that we can find alignment with our authentic self. We've mentioned this a little bit before, going back to that idea of the authentic self. And I love the idea of energetic protection as your energetic immune system. And so it's a permeable system, as our own physical body is, that does help us when our immune system is working in a way that creates a sense of well-being or peace within us. And... I'm also really interested in this idea that we, you know, what is energy? How do we pick it up? And I guess what you're saying, if I'm understanding you correctly, that energy in this context is kind of psychic or emotional or spiritual or ideological forms that we might take on without our consent, right? So, for instance being constantly assaulted with advertising that tells us there's something wrong with your body. There's something wrong with the way your body looks. There's something wrong with the way that your body ages. There's something wrong with the weight of your body. There's something wrong with the way that your hair looks. There's something wrong with everything in order to sell products, right? And so that's a kind of energetic assault because it's not necessarily actually going into our body. You know, maybe we're just looking at it, but it's certainly these paradigms are going into our mind 
They're going into our thought process. They're going through our emotional world. And then how the choices that we make, the way that we feel about ourselves, the way that we relate to others, the way that we're in relationships is profoundly affected by this non-consensual taking on of energetic forms. So is that what you mean by needing to protect your energy? Yes, precisely. So essentially, anything, everything is energy, including thoughts, including suggestions, including emotions, including any physical item or person around us. Everything is made out of energy. Everything has an energetic component. As we walk through life, walk through life like both online and offline, there are different energetic attachments and therefore um, etheric stuff that just linger in the atmosphere that include those suggestions, those thought patterns, those beliefs, those emotions that we can pick up and they become part of our energetic system. Now, I talked about the seven layers of the aura. Each layer has a different purpose. The most important ones for us to understand for the purpose of energy protection are the first three layers, the etheric, emotional, and mental layer. The emotional layer holds the energy of our emotions. So if we experience and we come into contact with someone emotionally assaulting us, screaming at us, swearing at us, clairvoyantly, when you tune into this interaction, you'll see energy from one person being sent to us, essentially, and being stuck within our emotional level of our aura. And when it comes to beliefs, when it comes to thoughts, these get stuck within the mental layer of our aura. But this is just very specific when you tune in clairvoyantly. If you think about it in more general terms, stuff gets stuck in our aura because as we have an intention, we manipulate energy. Energy work works with intention. So how does someone send something to us? They intend it, either consciously or unconsciously. Sometimes the intention is unconscious that an energy gets littered in a specific space. Let's say, for example, you get mugged, okay? And that energy of fear stays there and lingers. And then when someone passes through, they pick up on that energy. Because in the same way that we have physical matter that we can throw on the floor, and let's say, for example, I'm holding this pen and I'm throwing on the floor and it stays there, there is also emotional matter, there is thought matter, there is energetic matter that litters literally our cities and our spaces. And as we walk through them, if we don't have the right protection, we can pick up on stuff in the same way we pick up on viruses and bacteria. So in the same way we cleanse ourselves by showering and our phases by cleansing and purifying, it's important to also use energetic practices to cleanse our energy from whatever it is we've caught throughout the day. Mm, Yeah, I think about how, you know, I live in Los Angeles, so road rage is a thing here. You know, if you're in traffic a lot, let's say someone like cuts you off in traffic and flips you off or something. It's really easy to get upset (laughs) and to feel like their energy just got flung at you in your car and then you're like stressed, you're driving more erratically, you show up to wherever you're going kind of in a bad mood or feeling like you've taken that on. So I think that there's lots of ways of understanding like energy transfer in that sense. Uh, Similarly, though, I feel like people can share really positive energy. Like for instance, you go to the supermarket and someone smiles at you and it just brightens your day or just being in that person's presence like has a positive effect on you and you feel soothed. I know that you speak a lot about how people who work in our fields, you call them light workers, I might call them tarot readers or witches or people who practice ritual 
and other healing modalities in particular you speak to in your book, how they really need to protect their energy. Can you tell us why people who do spiritual work might need to protect their energy more than others? Yes, for a few reasons. Firstly, because we are more open energetically, because we're more sensitive to, to be a witch or to be a tarot reader, to do ritual, to be a light worker, to be a wizard, you need to be in touch with your emotions. You need to be in touch with your energy. You open up your energy to become a channel and receive guidance or to connect with the gods or to do ritual work. So in that state of opening up, you're entering more the energetic spiritual fields. And in the same way, you're going to learn to drive before you get a car. You also need to learn the rules of the game and how to protect yourself in the spiritual world because there are dimensions right here, right now, where there are different spirits, there are different laws, there are different uh, stuff happening that you need to be aware of so that when you enter, you know how to protect yourself. Many people come to me in my private psychic clearing sessions and I can see their energy being completely blown up and their, their chakras are blown open. And basically what happened there is they went into a spiritual practice or modality without having the necessary training, without knowing how to close down. They, for example, did a kundalini opening meditation without knowing how to close the energy down. And then they just start feeling they're having different symptoms. They are not able to sleep at night or they start seeing spirits without wanting to and they lose control of the spirit world, allowing the spirit world to come in and control them. And then that creates fear, which lowers their vibration, which are, gives them access to different parts of the spirit world. And then it does, it's a vicious circle of being stuck in that cycle. So because of that, it's very important for us to know how to navigate it. That's why in Protector Light, my aim is to provide a toolkit that spiritual seekers and practitioners can use to learn how to navigate the spirit and the energetic world. At the same time, I believe that all of us magical people, we have a global collective purpose of creating positive change in the world, whatever that means for each person. And because our purpose is so important, because we're not here to maintain the status quo, because we're here to problematize words and, and terms, we're here to create change, we're here to introduce a new paradigm of doing things, it's especially important for us to be in alignment with what our life purpose is so that we are not influenced by the momentum of energy that wants us to stay within this matrix, to stay within this paradigm. It's important for us to be clean so we are aware of what our purpose is so we can follow and fulfill it. I often say that if you don't choose your guides, which we might also think of as our purpose, then they're chosen for you. So in the capitalist paradigm, for instance, capitalism will choose for you what your purpose of your life is, which will be like pursuing money, gaining capital, trying to be successful, quote unquote, or trying to avoid being incapacitated. But not having enough capital or not having access to resource or similarly, it might propel you into an ideology that is fascistic or troubling in a variety of different ways. And so we do have to choose what we want to resonate with or align ourselves with in this lifetime. And that's part of, for me, what magical practice is. 
I love what you're saying about having specific techniques that we can use in order to help us maybe eradicate these, you know, fascist impulses or capitalist impositions or even the impositions of what you call energy from a place. I mean, we live because of, you know, colonialism, the past 4,000 years of, you know, patriarchy and dominator culture, there's a lot of violence. There's a lot of pain around us, sort of ambient in the world. And we want to acknowledge it and transform it. And at the same time, not be so overwhelmed by it that we forget our ultimate aims and goals of creating that world that we all would love to see evolve. So you speak to, for instance, cord cutting. That's something that's really popular. People love to talk about it. People are always really nervous about whether or not they're doing it right, whether or not it's possible what it even means. Can you speak to the dynamics of cord cutting? Does it mean that you're removing someone from your life? You know, how do you do it specifically? Yes. Okay. So essentially, everybody loves talking about cord cutting. I take it a step further in Protect Your Life by going deep into how to do advanced cord cutting. So let's start with the basics, though. So what are cords of attachment? Energy cords of attachment are cords that we have to anyone or anything that we have a relationship with. So whatever and whoever we have a relationship with, we have an energetic attachment. Clairvoyantly, you'll see this as really an energy cord extending from different chakras or parts of our body and reaching out and connecting us to those people. That essentially represents the quality of that relationship. So if the relationship is good and it's glowing and it's it's flowing, there is this good positive energy flowing through this cord, facilitated by the two people in that relationship. There are group cords as well, by the way, connecting many people together. And sometimes it's people and events and circumstances and objects. So it's important to understand there are group cords that involve like a combination of different cores, and there are single cores that we have not just to people, but also to places, to objects, to digital objects that we have, like pictures on our phones, to events in our lives, to past lives, to collective events that happened, and to places around the world. So when we understand, first of all, that it's more than just cutting cord to an X, and there's so much to understand here and navigate, then we can start having some more fun with cord cutting and realizing what needs to be released and what needs to be strengthened. Now, you talked about whether we cut a cord, we release that person from our life, and what if we don't want to release a person from our life? Now, this is something that I don't teach in Protect Your Life, but I do in my psychic clearing sessions. But essentially, we have energetic cords to different people, but within those cords are energetic filaments, which are essentially smaller cords representing different aspects of that relationship. So let's say, for example, I'm, a co- I'm in a codependent relationship, and there's so many good things in that relationship, but I have codependent tendencies. I would go into that main core, identify the filament of codependency and cut that or heal that or clear that. So there is more intricate work we can do, sort of like psychic surgery, when you zoom into different cores, understand the dynamics there, and then depending on what happens, you use different frequencies, different tools to clear, to amplify, to strengthen. And I've been fascinated as to how amazingly 
cord cutting or strengthening works to the point that now when I manifest, I simply sit in meditation and I create cords. <laughs> I create cords, I clean cords, I cut cords, I connect cords to different people, to different frequencies, and just allow the dynamic of that energy exchange to manifest into physical matter. So you do it through visualization, essentially, or imaginal work, processes, meditations. Through intention, because some people are not visual. So right. I, I personally, I do it by visualization. But what I teach in Protect Your Light is visualization is also intention. So you can intend with words. You can intend by writing. You can intend by thinking about something, depending on what the dominant clair each person has. So some people are more clairaudient. They hear things. Some people, they want to feel things. So you can do this in different ways, as long as the intention is there. Yeah, totally. I get that. I always use the term imagination because we imagine in different ways, right? Some of us might be auditory or sensory. Like we don't necessarily need to see an image in our mind. And I also encourage people to think about it like if people are out there thinking, I can't do that or I don't, ha I don't have that faculty very powerfully. But for instance, you have memory and, and that's the same function. Everybody remembers things. So however you remember things, however you remember, you know, that vacation you took a year ago or your breakup or the house that you lived in when you were a child, that is the way that you can do these visualizations or the way that you can do these intentional exercises. I love what you talk about, both Carolyn and I, my producer of my podcast and I were talking about that dagger lifting because this season we're doing the Court of Swords and Tarot. Could you talk to us a little bit about what a psychic dagger is and how you might get rid of one? Yes. So psychic daggers, also known as psychic attack, also known as ill-wishing, also known as the evil eye, is when someone consciously or unconsciously wishes you ill and therefore sends an intense wave of negative energy towards you. It's usually anger or jealousy. This is the most common and feared type of energy attack when it's someone consciously or sometimes unconsciously sending negative energy towards you. Now, different people understand this in different ways. That's why there are so many different terms. We know the evil eye that's very popular in, and in the Middle East and Eastern Europe. Then you have ill-wishing. Then you have psychic attack. That's more new-agey of a concept. The one that I like to use is dagger lifting is because when I clairvoyantly tune into energy to see what's happening there, the way that I perceive attack is with a dagger in the back. <laughs> so usually when I see someone's energy being directed towards someone else, I literally see daggers or different types of weapons in people's backs. And I'm like, okay, and I identify what that is. But really what it is and what other people may perceive it as is just energy that's not yours. It's someone else that's directed towards you. And literally when you, um, when you see people's energetic field, when they're feeling anger, you see spikes being formed in their aura, like red spikes that are being shot all around them. So that's essentially a psychic dagger that someone sends towards you of anger or jealousy. Like porcupine quills. 
Yes, and it's so easy to to be affected by them, by the way, because we all feel anger, like road rage, for example. We send daggers without wanting to sometimes or without meaning to, and they just leave our energetic field and direct it toward the other person. That's why I think that shielding ourselves, I teach in like part three of the book, it's all about energy shielding. There are different types of shields we can use for different situations, but consciously having a transmuting shield around us at all times is a great way to protect ourselves from those conscious or unconscious psychic daggers. When we have this transmuting shield that essentially transmutes whatever energy comes towards us into love and light or just something more positive while we receive it. Yeah, absolutely. I always think that Shielding, grounding, those visualizations, those imaginal exercises are really the fundamental practice of witchcraft. And if you do nothing else, doing that every day is so important. And not only that, but it helps you build your faculty for imagination. It helps you build your power of magic and enchantment by connecting with that over and over again and getting it into your muscle memory and remembering, of course, that the imagination is the portal to the spirit world and also is the way that we can perceive the consciousness of other beings or the more than human world, like trees, stones, animals, the elemental realms. And so practicing that on a daily basis is so important and so helpful. And what a great practice to practice that shielding for yourself so that you're not taking on things that are not authentic to you as you've been speaking to all this time. And then also, just for a side note, since you were talking about that dagger lifting, your idea with doing that is just, you just pull them out, right? You just find them and you just pull them out, literally. Yes. And what I'm really passionate about in Protect Your Light is I love working with spirit guides, like angels, ascended masters, all kinds of spirit guides. But what I wanted to do with Protect Your Light, I wanted to communicate that our biggest, most powerful energy protection tool is our own body and our own being. And we have the power to protect ourselves rather than depending on other guides. And other guides are not more powerful than us. They're spiritual extensions of who we really are. They help us understand and channel our own power, our own magic. That's why most of the practices that I teach in the book are either working with, if I bring in beings, I bring the elementals because they're based on like Mother Earth and therefore they're way more closer to us. And I also teach that uh, the Earth is the OG energy protector. She's been here for 4.5 billion years. She knows how to heal and protect herself. So by connecting with her, we can leverage on these cleansing and shielding practices as well, but also using our own body to clear. So with daggers, is using our own imagination to visualize, for example, a magnet that just removes the dagger from your back or literally grabbing that dagger with your own hand and removing it. Even with a cord cutting, yes, you can ask Archangel Michael to come with a sword of light and cut the cord. But why not grab the cord with your own hand like a weed and just pull it out of your energetic field? Why not bring in the power of your own body or using your body as scissors or as a knife? Yes, you can get your beautiful like dagger that you have on your altar and use that to cut the cord or a crystal. I do that as well sometimes. But I find it's way more empowering when you, we use our own physicality to protect ourselves. It sends out the signal into the universe that look Look at me. I'm owning my power. I'm in control of my body. Nobody can come in. 
Absolutely. And it's a, an act of spiritual theater or magical theater. And theater is powerful. It's cathartic. You know, it's medicine. And it's also a somatic practice. So, you know, for people who maybe are more skeptical of some of the language around like spiritual practices, acting out your desires gets it into the material world. So it's not just thinking, oh, I want to stop being in a codependent relationship, but it's physically moving that thought through your body and bringing it out into the material world in some way where you can start to feel it, get an embodied sense of it, get a somatic sense of it. Okay, so this is the last question that we have time for, but it's one of my favorites, and it's something that I've been dying to ask you since so much of my work happens online. How do we protect our energy online, on social media? This is something that was not developed by, you know, the Pythagoreans or by, you know, the Hermetics because there was no social media at that time. So this is new, and and you're one of the first people to write about how to do this. So give us some tips. So when I was doing my research, before I write any book, I make sure to read the bestsellers to see what's been written. So I write something new. So when I was doing the work, I realized nobody was talking about social media and how to protect our energy there. And I realized how important it has been, especially now with the pandemic, everybody's gone online. Look at us right now, right across the world. And we're having this conversation that wouldn't be possible a few years back when the basic energy protection practices were developed. So I felt like we were stuck into this um, pattern of just talking about certain energy protection and cleansing practices such as like shielding ourselves with white light and solely talking about certain kind of cleansing practices. And we um, are not um, open to revolutionizing and expanding our energetic field. So let's expand our energy field, sorry, our, our energetic practice into protecting our energy online. So what we need to understand about digital energy protection is that the digital landscape is a mirror of the physical landscape. In the same way that our physical world is divided into countries with cities, with private, semi-private and public spaces, the digital world is also made up of the same kind of spaces. So, for example, we have Instagramville and Facebook land and Twitterverse. There are different digital countries that have their own private, semi-private and public spaces that we can have different interactions in, different dynamic of energy flowing through them, different types of energy attachments happening there. For example, let's take Instagram as an example. With Instagram, you have the DMs, which is a private space. You have the Explore tab, which is a public space. You have your feed, which is a semi-private space because you include who to see sometimes. So when we understand this, then we can have a more conscious and pointed focus and attention into how we treat social media, how we interact with social media, the intention we go into it, and also using different practices, both tactical and energetic, to cleanse and shield and protect our energy online. Let's say, for example, you're at home on your phone going from up to up, from up to up. Yes, your physical body is protected at home, but your energetic bodies are traveling. They're globe-trotting around the world. They're on a tour, <laughs> going from digital country to digital country, 
catching different energetic attachments, having conversations with people and allowing that to clutter your energetic field. Psychologists have coined the term the emotional contagion, which essentially is a concept of someone sharing their emotion on social media and someone else right across the world reading that post and feeling that same emotion. So you have psychic emotional energy spewing out of our screens into the physical world and affecting us. It's real. <laughs> oh yeah, it's real for sure. Yeah, it's real. So we need to have tactical practices, such as, for example, realizing we are the mayors of our own cities. And therefore we can go into our privacy settings and we can tell the different social media sites what we want to see more of, what we want to see less of. We have the power to mute people, to unfollow people, to choose how much time we spend, to choose how what kind of intention we have into social media. Are we creators or are we consumers? And why? Are we allowing the algorithm and the technology, the obsessive uh, technology to keep us in an endless cycle of scrolling? Or are we choosing to go there with the intention of creating, scrolling for five minutes or following certain people that we want to truly connect with and then moving on. So having these questions allow us to have more intention, but also bringing in the energetic component, we can cleanse and protect our energy when we've allowed ourselves to receive stuff that are unwanted. That's so helpful. Thinking of the online space as like a country or a place, it kind of makes me think of imagining scrolling on Instagram, walking through a plaza and having a bunch of buskers or something coming up and like doing a performance in your face and trying to get your attention or like, you know, doing a dance or playing an instrument or being like, listen to this, listen to this, like come buy my thing, like hawking their wares. And um, when you put it like that, you know, you really wouldn't just stop for everybody. You know, you wouldn't just linger You'd have an idea of where you're going or you maybe you're going to meet a friend or you're going to have an ice cream or something if you're in a public plaza and you wouldn't be commandeered in the same way that you are on Instagram where you're just brought into all these different emotional worlds and vortexes in such rapid succession that it can easily fry your brains and your heart and your, you know, your, your whole energetic system, your body too. So I love this. Can you give us like one little snacky poo about what we can do if we feel like we've gotten into some toxic or some goopy energy online? What should we do? So I, I teach lots of different practices in the book, but a practice that I want to share is Using the same practices that I teach in the book about cutting cords, for example, the same practices can happen when it comes to protecting our energy online. So if we feel like we've had a negative interaction with someone, chances are there is a cord there or there is a dagger there. So we can start thinking about, okay, let me tune in and identify where the dagger is. But something we can do proactively to protect our energy online is a practice that I teach in the book about creating digital amulets and talismans. Now, amulets and talismans, as you know, I'm sure sure you know. So they're used interchangeably, but historically they've had different meanings. So amulets turned to ward off negative energy, such as the evil eye, for example, or the cross or the scar up in some traditions. And then you have talismans that tend to create 
energy, more positive energy. So we can either use talismans to amplify the energy of our social media or amulets to ward off and repel energy. So the way you create a digital amulet, I call this creating a charged post. So let's say, for example, I'm going to post something on Instagram. I don't even need to post a picture of an evil eye or something like that. I just put the intention of, let's say, for example, the evil eye as an amulet or whatever that is. I put that intention by taking some time to meditate. Maybe you can extend your hand towards the screen and charge the post with the energy coming from your heart with the intention of repelling whatever energy is coming towards you your social media side, or transmuting it, or amplifying it if you're using a talisman. And then you create a charged post because you've used your intention or your imagination to transfer energy into that post that acts on your behalf to keep your energy protected. And then another practice that I choose, I'm I'm not going to explain it. It's all about doing a space clearing of your digital world. Uh, I love that. I love them both. I love that idea so much. I'm going to totally create a talisman and an amulet. I love those ideas. That alone is like, you know, worth the cost of entry for your book. I'm sure that everybody out there is like, I need more of that. I need more techniques like that in my life. So George, how can our listeners find out more about you, your work? Do you have anything coming up that they should know about? You all need to go out and buy his book, Protect Your Light, and all of your other books. We'll have links to all of them in our show notes. But you tell us what, what's the best way for them to become more familiar. So if you go to protectyourlightbook.com, when you get the book and enter your order number in the little sign-up box that I have, you also get for free the Psychic Scanning Online Workshop, which is a 60-minute online workshop where I guide you to turn on your psychic vision so you can scan your body and identify all this stuff. So that's a little freebie that I'm giving to everyone who gets the book, essentially. And then you can find me on Instagram at George Lizas. On Facebook, I have a community, an online community called Your Spiritual Toolkit. And on TikTok, I am I am George Lizas. <laughs> Amazing. Well, we're going to go follow you on all of those outlets and all those online countries, as you say. And we are so grateful for you showing up, for you being here. This has been such a fascinating conversation. Thank you so much for your work and for all the things that you're doing in the world and all of your thought that you've been putting into all of this for so long. We, we really appreciate you. Thank you for being with us. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much. I feel so honored and I loved having this conversation with you. Thank you. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us Between the Worlds today. We hope you loved our combo with George Lizos as much as we enjoyed having it. Next week, I'm not going to tell you what we're going to have because I keep promising that we're going to do Queen of Swords and then we keep deciding we want to do something else, which is not very decisive and Queen of Swords-ish of us, but um, we're willing to live with that. So... Next week, mystery episode. Most likely, our next episode will be Queen of Swords, but you never know. So tune in to answer the mystery, and we will see you between the worlds. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Subscribers to our Weird Circle at the Jupiter level get workshops, community, bonus content, and magical support throughout the year. We really do hope that you join us 
In the meantime, if you love our content and want to keep us on the air, please do take a moment to give us five stars or leave us a sweet review on iTunes or share your favorite moments from the podcast on social media. Truly, all of it makes a huge difference to us. You can tag me at Oracle Valet or at Between the Worlds Podcast. Not only does your support help keep us on the air, it helps baby witches who really need this content know how to find their way to us between the worlds. So thank you for being here and thank you for helping other people find their way here as well. This podcast is hosted by Amanda Yates Garcia and produced by Carolyn Pennypacker Ricks. Our icon was created by Maria Minnis, aka Tiny Parsnip, and our graphic design is by Leah Hayes. Thanks for flying with us. <laughs>